Welcome back to Recalibrate Agency. I'm your host, Danielle Photo, and today I am pleased to have on Joel Eschenbach. He is the founder of Notion Design Group, and he's also a fellow business coach. And today we're going to be talking to our audience of micro agencies and freelancers that really are looking to grow and scale and figure out how to make it work um, beyond just themselves. And we're talking about recurring revenue models, pricing structure, and everything that goes into all of that. Joel has a lot of experience there and some great advice. So Joel, welcome. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're up to these days and where you've come from? Yeah, thanks, Danielle. Appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, a little bit about me. Um, I started as a freelance graphic designer, gosh, what, 17 years ago. So it's been a long time. Um, it was before there was, it seems like any information about what to do to start an agency or a business, there was not any of the curriculums out there, or the frameworks. It was just like, here, um, here's the book E-Myth, good luck. Um, and they actually taught it in like design schools and there weren't all these DIY tools around right. very different time. Yes, very much so. Uh, so got out of design school, started to do freelance work and pretty quickly realized that I wasn't making enough money because about a year and a half into it, I uh, went bankrupt. So I had two kids on the way. This is kind of my sad story I always start with, right? Um, and went, went bankrupt. We really struggled financially and, and realized, okay, what I'm doing right now is, is not working. Um, so started the transition from freelance graphic designer to uh, really ultimately micro agency. Um, I brought on a partner, which is one of those things they say, don't ever bring on a partner. But honestly, for me, it's been fantastic. Um, and so together, uh, my partner, Tommy and I started to build an agency specifically focusing on website design. So we made that transition, still did graphic design, but you know, I wouldn't say the early days of website design, but pretty early days of website design. At that point, we were using um, you know old tools like Joomla and you know CMS tools and Dreamweaver and things like that to build sites from scratch. But um, essentially, what we started to do there is figure out, <clears throat> okay, how can we price our, our target was small businesses because we were small, um, local small businesses specifically. But then, how can we target those businesses? in a pricing structure that they're going to be able to say yes to um, and not have a lot of issues with sales. And so we created a reoccurring revenue model that we still use a version of to this day and built our whole agency. Um, here we are this many years later on that same reoccurring revenue model. Um, what, so did which it, I'm sure, yeah, what, what did it look like to transition from two fields of uh, two creative fields, design and website development that are historically, and even today, very much so project-based into a recurring revenue model. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So what I found pretty quickly is I was talking to small business owners and in the early days, we were talking with a lot of new business owners or, or at the time, uh, business owners who had had businesses for a while, but hadn't really transitioned to digital at all. Um, and so what I got to really quick was, this is great, but I can't really afford 5,000, 6,000, 8,000 upfront for a website. Or they would say, yeah, I just spent five grand on this website and the website developer put it live, but now I need to make changes to it. And every time they're nickeling and diming for every little change. Um, so it was problems like that. And I was like, huh, I wonder if there's a way to think through this differently. 
And so what we did is we said, what if we took the cost of development alongside of ongoing changes? And we essentially, the way I explain it now is uh, you finance a car and you get a warranty with it. So we took the cost of development, spread it over 18 months, and then we built into that uh, unlimited ongoing changes. So you, at the time, it's almost embarrassing to say how much we charged out of the gate. Uh, I think we started at $150 a month. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was way, still way too cheap. Um, <clears throat> so. How, how long did it take for you to realize that was too cheap? Well, it, it took long enough to realize that about what, um, three months into the business model. So I, I should give a little bit more reference instead of transitioning into this business model. So we were getting flat fees. Uh, we jumped both feet into the business model. So we went from getting, you know, sounds like you jumped head first, not even just both feet. You're right. We did (laughs) head first, not even thinking, uh, that goes from the lack of experience. Right. Um, and so we went from getting what 5,000, 3000, whatever it was up front to now we have $150. So what three months in, I couldn't pay my first employee. Uh, and I was like, well, this wasn't very smart. So yeah, we realized, okay, we've got to figure out a different way to do this. We made it through that time though. We pushed through, we worked a lot of hours and what eventually started to happen is we raised our prices and we got, it it got exponential because 150 went up to 300 a month and then 300 times, you know, 20 clients. And then all of a sudden we started to have this really nice base of reoccurring revenue. Mm-hmm. About how long did that take if you had to to estimate? Yeah, uh, it was probably about a, a solid two years of building that to where it needed to be, where to where it was covering expenses. Um, if I looked back now, if I were to start the same model now, I would do it very similar, but I would just start it at much higher price points. That was the mm-hmm. biggest thing. And, 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 you know, that's kind of my big thing now is I, I wasn't building the profit into the pricing like I should have. So how did you learn to start building that profit into pricing from those experiences? Yeah, a lot of it had to do so much of pricing is mindset. So a lot of it has to do with first understanding that you're worth it, you know, that you and your agency have the value, you're delivering the value. So that's taken years and years to really get over. Um, But then the other part is your audience, you know, understanding that you're going to have certain price ceilings on certain types of, of people or businesses. So we had to start to move out of the brand new business space because they just didn't have any budget um, and start to move in a little bit more mature businesses or even people who have been in business for, you know, at least three to five years. Um, so that was a big part of it because we can only get our prices so high and build in enough profit if we were targeting the right client. Mm-hmm. Did your targeting also factor in which kinds of clients aren't going to come month after month and request a bazillion hours of changes? Or did you factor that consideration in at all in any other way? Tell us about your logic there. Yeah, so it's interesting. What I tried to do, even from the beginning, we tried to do with the this pricing model is we said, how could we say, you know, now uh, people like Alex or Mosey say the irre- irresistible offer. At the time it really was, because I was saying, look, we're gonna build your sites, a custom website design and development. You're gonna get ongoing unlimited changes once it's live, 
We're going to include hosting software updates. It was like, we're going to do everything for you. So whether or not they needed ongoing changes, almost everybody bought it. Um, because it was like, well, I've got one person I can go to for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, now again, in retrospect, if a hundred percent of people are buying it, I'm probably not priced high enough. So, you know, but at the time I was like, great, everybody's buying this. It's working. You just wanted to be busy and, and make sure that you had something solid. It sounds like. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, go ahead. Do you price based off of, you mentioned, um, knowing your value as a creative firm, do you price based off of value or are you looking more at time and materials and doing cost-based pricing? How do you operate? Yeah, great question. So, uh, I think the premise of value-based pricing is, is good. I understand it. I think it just falls short. So value-based pricing, I'm not a huge fan of it. And, and here's why. You know, the premise is that obviously if you're doing valuable work for a company that makes $10 million in revenue versus a company that makes a million, the value you're delivering, the results you're delivering should make them more money at 10 million than it does a million. So you should charge more. I think that makes sense theoretically. The problem is that I think a, a lot of agencies do it, but if they're not delivering the value, if in other words, they're not measuring the value or if they're measuring the value, are they coming back and giving a refund if it didn't deliver that value. I think that's mm -hmm. the disconnect with value-based pricing. On the front end, it's a great strategy because you can charge a lot more and, and it makes sense, but I don't think there's the results-based delivery on value-based pricing. So I'm more of a time and materials person, but in saying that, um, I think it's really important to understand, really know your numbers. So know your, and, and time is the huge piece of that, especially for agencies. Mm -hmm. um, Go ahead. Yeah, you're you're so right. I think a lot of agencies uh, want value based pricing because they do struggle with feeling like they are contributing right and being perceived as a value add among clients. But in order to do value based pricing, you have to have some very specific information from clients to inform your pricing. And for a lot of agencies you just can't get that information and you have a really hard time getting that information in a sales process when you're already trying to just establish a relationship and build trust to close the deal. Um, Win Without Pitching, really great book, definitely a lot of golden nuggets in there, mm -hmm. but it misses out on some of the day-to-day -day practicality, I think, that you've lived through too. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, early on, especially, I really hated doing proposals. So I, sometimes I joke around and I'm like, I, I was just lazy. So I invented this whole business model to remain lazy. And what I was able to do is figure out, okay, what are the main things? So let's talk about website design. What are the main services we're providing over and over and over again? What are the features, the functionality? And so we created this menu of, at the time we called them features. Now we call them add-ons. So maybe somebody wants a e-commerce store or a product catalog or a, you know, custom blog, whatever it is, we figured out what those were. And then we figured out what our time is generally on average to create each of those features. And then we marked it up accordingly. And so I could go into any website call and go, okay, here's the goal you're trying to accomplish, but you also need this, this, and this put together the, you know, the Chipotle style menu, build the bowl and then, you know, sell it. And, and I didn't have to do proposals at all. So that yeah. was kind of another piece of it. 
Yeah. That's one of the things I really appreciate about, since I talked about window without pitching, I'll talk about it a little bit more. That's one yeah. of the things I appreciate about their model is they try to get you away from doing these really lengthy proposals and they try to get you yeah. to win the sale in conversation and then you just finalize it. Really appreciate that. That's great advice. I think you should follow that too. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm curious, do you look at the, um, the profit that you're building into your add-ons differently based off of what add-on it is, or is it all the same kind of add-on additional fee that you're putting on top? Yeah, it, it's pretty similar because it's time-based and sometimes we're going to hit that wrong. You know, now we have enough data. Well, you talked about add-ons, so let me stick with add-ons for a minute. Um, we know basically how much time that add-on is going to take because we've broken it down enough to say, here's what's included and here's what's not. Um, so we take that time and materials and typically I'm adding, I'm doing a multiplication of four on top of that for profit and knowing that that's going to cover overhead. Um, it's going to build some profit right into it. Uh, and so that's kind of my formula across the board. It's not always exactly that, but that's what we do, whether it's an add-on or our core services. Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, maybe not think, do you have experience going through raising prices on existing clients that maybe have been with you for years and you're finding disconnects? Do you have anything to share on that front? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have done it a couple of different ways. One thing I find with pricing across the board, we all get nervous about it. I can't raise prices. I've had these legacy clients for a while. They're going to leave. I think you've got to get to a point where you decide this is how much money we need to make. This is the value we provide. This is what we're raising the pricing to and be willing to have that walk away power and let your clients decide whether they're going to stay or they're not going to stay. And so recently what we decided to do, we actually had 50 because we have so many clients and websites. We had 50 websites that needed to be rebuilt because they were on old CMS platforms. And so we had to migrate really rebuild all the sites in WordPress. And so instead of going back to each client and saying, okay, pitching a whole new rebuild as a separate project, we basically just said, look, it's going to be X amount of money a month. We're going to upgrade you to this amount of money a month. And then we're going to just rebuild it for you. And you don't have a choice. <laughs> we, we said it nicer than that, right? Well, their choice um, is yes or no and walk away, really. Right, exactly. And we, we wrestled with that for a while internally. Should we go back? And but it, we just did it and we had about 30% of them leave. Um, but ultimately the people that stayed, we're making way more money on them. They're on our newer version of the software. And so that was a, an opportunity to raise prices and just kind of stick with it and be confident about it and know that in the end, yeah, it may hurt a little bit, but actually in the end it was better off for everybody. It is. Do you have any advice to, uh, freelancers or micro agencies going through that same problem right now? Yeah. Um, raise your prices. <laughs> I mean, everybody says it, right. But I think raising your prices has to do with, like I said before, your confidence, but your confidence needs to come from you've done the math and you've done the work. So you've doing the thing that everybody hates to do is track time. Nobody wants to track time, but track time on your most common services figure out what those are, figure out what that time is, add your profit to it, add your expenses to it. And then you can confidently say, here's what I'm worth. And having the ability to state the price, raise the price and just leave it there. Let the client make the decision. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and the way you're doing it too, you are tracking time on things that inform how you price, but you're not tracking time for the sake of billing. And so it's a totally different way of tracking time and it reduces the lack of um, shared incentives that an agency and clients might have if you're billing based off of hours. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and, and it's not that we never do hourly billing. We do on certain projects, but it's very rare. Most of the time, our time tracking is for internal purposes. And that goes, so one of the things I said is we're including development time. Let's talk about the website itself. Development time is our biggest cost, or our biggest time cost at the beginning of the project. But then we also are calculating in the ongoing cost of ongoing changes. And it's definitely the 80-20 principle. You know, we've got 80% of our customers um, doing 20% or I'm sorry, 20% of our customers doing 80% of the ongoing changes. Um, and so we're calculating that too, and factoring it into the customer lifetime value and all that fun stuff. Are you able to generally get a good sense of that during your sales process? Like who's going to be a needier client after the website's built versus who's going to be more of a set it and forget it for lack of a better term. Are you able to fish that out during your sales process? Gotten better at it. Uh, it's not always the easiest. I mean, sometimes you think one thing and then you get into it, the site's built, and then, you know, they're emailing you or putting a ticket in every week for changes. What we found over the years is that, um, so one of our stop gaps or one of the things that we built into our process that helps protect us in a sense is obviously we have an agreement, but we have turnaround times. So the clients that want things all the time really quickly, they're going to get a little frustrated with our process because we have a five-day turnaround. Now, we may get it done in a day, but what happens is they automatically sort of weed themselves out. So we're a really good fit for the client who wants ongoing changes, but they're not always wanting them in a super huge hurry. That's a Mm -hmm. great fit for us. Yeah. They're invested in keeping their website fresh and up to date, but it's not the urgent, everything's on fire kind of business. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Correct. Speaking of sales, um, do you find it easier to keep your pipeline full because of the model that you've adopted for your design firm? Yeah, it's much easier to sell. It's much easier to keep the pipeline full. Now I will say that we are in a, a little bit of a shift and we're doing a lot more brand identity work these days. Uh, so really within the past like six to eight months, we're starting to make that shift. And in that set up, we're doing a little bit more of a traditional pricing model, but we still have our, our website product is still at that core pricing model that we started years ago. Mm-hmm. What do you do for sales? How do you go find new leads? Mm, that's the million dollar question, right? Isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny as a coach, I get that question all the time. All right, where do I, okay. I got everything set up now. Where do I find new leads? Uh, it's a combination of things. Just doing this for long, as long as we have, there's a lot of word of mouth, of course, relationships, referrals, that, that's the biggest source. Um, I'm also part of a couple of different communities. So I've been really involved in the story brand community in the past, um, gotten a lot of work through there. Um, I'm a business made simple coach on that side. So I get work even through the, to the agency from there. Uh, LinkedIn, um, some outbound marketing, uh, but mostly it's inbound. And, and mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I say, even to like my coaching clients is go start a lot of fires. 
you know, everywhere you can start a fire, eventually it's going to turn into a blaze and it's going to be a, a pretty consistent source of leads. Mm -hmm. I always say, um, the tiny grains of sand are what make a beach. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, and that one's maybe a little less violent than fires. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just have more of a like relaxation mindset than you do. You're like, let's make it crazy. And I'm like, let's go hang out on a beach. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like um, that. I think it's really important, those communities and groups that you've mentioned, because you have to go where people are already finding information on other problems and then build those relationships. A lot of agency leads come through relationship marketing. It doesn't have to necessarily be like fully account based marketing, but it is relationship based primarily. And it doesn't have to all be referrals either. Don't get me wrong there. Um, but combining that with being helpful, having those educational resources to help close the deal. Um, I have found that a lot of agency websites are better closers than they are lead generators. So mm -hmm. keeping that in mind, would you add anything to that line of thought? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think when you're talking about whether it's content you're putting out, whether it's inbound or outbound, uh, building relationships, take a stance on something, take a position. I think it's really, really important, especially now there's just so much noise out there. Like, what do you stand for as an agency? What's that thing that, what's that hill you're, you're on? And whether that's a, a way of doing business or a philosophy or a, a type of work that you do or a certain niche that you're in, um, yeah, that, that's huge because people are it looking is. for that. People are, they want to, people are looking for their people and their tribe and however they can connect, uh, in this weird digital world that we live in now, they're, they're on the hunt for people that are like them. So if you can say like, I think this, this is better, this is not better. Here's why you can really resonate with people. Cause that's what marketing is. You're crafting a message uh, that resonates with people, which means it has to agree with a set of values that they already hold. And then they start to build trust in everything else that you have to say. So think about what you are firm on. What are your positions in the marketplace, in an industry vertical that you service, in your field of expertise, whether that's websites or market research or graphic design or MarTech, whatever that is, what are your stances on how things are progressing in that industry and really hold to your guns there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. for sure. Well, what do you think, last question, what do you think agencies should do about um, potentially having escalation clauses for pricing in their agreements? Do you think that's a good idea, bad idea? Maybe it depends. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you always want to have something where you can cover yourself. So maybe it's an escalation clause. Um, I mentioned for us in our agreement, we, we've got the turnaround times that actually really helps. It may not sound like it helps, but that's a big one. Um, and if you're not going to do that, ha like have a way out because, or be willing to let clients go. That's because sometimes you can get in this back and forth where you're like, well, I feel like I need to commit to this, especially if it's a long-term project where I need to commit to this and I need to just keep doing whatever the client wants. You have the scope creep. It just keeps going and going, and going. Sometimes you just have to have those hard conversations that nobody wants to have and say, you know, I just don't think we're a fit or you've outgrown us or we've outgrown you or that sort of thing. 
Yeah. And even building up an arsenal of other shops that you can refer them over to. I think that's always great. It softens the blow. It makes you look good and you're building relationships with others in the industry too. So it's just kind of that win, win, win as much as you can get one. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, Joel, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, what you've experienced here today. Any final thoughts that you would want to give to micro agencies or freelancers out there trying to figure out how to price, how to build sustainable revenue and get this thing off the ground? Any other advice? Yeah, not much more than I've already said. I mean, I, I, I will harp over and over again about profitable pricing. In fact, um, if you go to my website, joeleschenbach.com, um, and I don't know if we'll put that in the notes or not, but um, you can get, I have a profitable pricing calculator there for freelancers that I think is really helpful if you're wanting to get a place. And it's for micro agencies too. If you've really never gone through the exercise of looking at your pricing, your, your time and materials, building profit on top of it, it's a really helpful exercise. One thing I will say though, is you got to track time. You know, you got to, I hate it too, but you know, it's yeah. got to start there. We all hate it, but if you don't start now, you won't have the information that you need later. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you, Joel. I really appreciate you coming on. And to highlight just a few key takeaways from this episode, if it's just three things that you go and do, one, start tracking time, make an effort, use whatever tool you need, even paper and pen to start just to build the habit. And then you can move it over into something else later. You can use spreadsheets. You can use something like toggle. You can use, I think harvest has something in theirs as well. There's so many other tools out there too. So find a tool that works for you, works for any team members that you might have as well and start tracking your time. And then set reminders, you know, three months from now, six months from now, 12 months from now to review that information, because it's the data that accumulates over time. That's going to inform how you can make changes to your model and to your prices and then raise your prices. Don't be afraid to look at ways that you are missing out on revenue opportunities that you could be adding value to clients and making more off of it. Look at ways that you can take a very big project sum and stretch it out over a period of 12, 18, 24 months, like Joel was talking about doing with websites so that it's less of a hit up front. But then also make sure that you are targeting the right audience. Joel shared a little bit of his experience working with startups and really small businesses and how they had to pivot away from that. So if you're experiencing some of those same challenges where maybe your account receivable is looking really rough right now, or you're having a hard time closing deals and getting people actually started on their projects, and maybe you've got tire kickers and people are just ghosting you, you might need to look at targeting a different audience with your services. I hope that is all helpful. I'll get those links up that Joel mentioned as well so that you can go check out his pricing calculator. And that's all I have for you today on Recalibration. I'm your host, Danielle Photo. Cheers for now.